Hey, welcome to Your Voice Matters podcast. This fourth season is entitled Voices for Change. In this regard, I will interview different industry experts, business leaders and change makers. My guests use their voice and expertise to make the world a better place. Many of my guests were at some point my clients, others not, but all of them have an important message to share with the world. Today I have with me Ines Omens Melo. She's a multi-skilled professional. She's a professional singer and a psychiatrist. Born in Porto, Portugal, actually we live in the same neighborhood for many years. She studied lyrical and jazz singing, also in Porto. She completed her medical degree in 2015 and she has chosen to be a psychiatrist because she's a passionate about helping people and she's aware how complex and multifactorial these diseases can be. She's a lover of the art of traveling, and today she considers herself a world music singer. When she was little, she dreamed about going to the Festival de Canção, the singing context where you can be chosen to the Eurovision Festival. And this year she achieved this dream, and she was a finalist in the context with the song Fome de Viagem. Inês, welcome to this podcast. Thank you. Inês, being a singer and a doctor, this seems Two completely different worlds. How these two areas came together in your life? Well, uh, singing came first because I I started singing in a choir when I was a, a kid, when I was eight years old. And I had to um, kind of manage to juggle the two worlds when I entered medical school. And I'm not going to lie, it was, it was hard. Uh, it was hard to... Uh, to make time for both agendas. And I really struggled with feeling imposter syndrome, uh, especially when I was studying. Uh, I always felt I was not enough of a medical student or not enough of a music student. I was studying in the conservatory back then. Um, and when I started working, again, not enough of a doctor, not enough of a singer. Eventually, I, I overcame this imposter syndrome um, by feeling that my peers uh, were not judging me. They were all okay that I was doing both things. And especially when my patients, so when I, when I was working as a doctor and I was singing professionally too, more or less by the time we met, we worked together actually. Um, so the the thing that, that helped me the most was to understand that my patients were okay with that. And on the contrary, they were, they were happy that I was a singer. Uh, I think that, that uh, having um, a participation in the community brings the doctor closer to the patients. And uh, as a psychiatrist, it, it helped me to, to reach um, my patients in a different way. So when I, when I, when I felt that, I was okay, but it was not easy. It was not easy. I'm not going to lie. Yes. To feel that you don't, you are not doing enough of each of the parts. And uh, then you finally understood that it's actually an advantage for you to, to do this and to be, you know, a special, I, I guess uh, your patients must be very proud of you and also <laughs> very happy because you, you definitely, uh, you are, you know, a very enthusiastic person, and and all this 
you know, you being a singer, I think it's actually is a good thing, you know, also for them. So I'm I'm very glad that you finally overcome that imposter syndrome and you accepted these two areas of your life. I think it's it's wonderful. I, I mean, we met um, maybe in 2000, well, we met when we were young, but we worked together uh, when you were, I think, finishing your medical school. I think. No, no I was working already. It, yeah, it working. was in 2016. I was checking yes. that before before we record. So I was I was working in Lisbon. Um, but in that moment, I was doing um, so like the beginning of the of the residency, uh, not yet in a, in psychiatry. So we do mm -hmm. like a general uh, rotations in surgery, internal medicine, and and after that, we choose uh, definitely uh, which specialty we want. Um, and I started psychiatry in 2017. So we met when I was doing this general rotations. Mm -hmm. It was a, a very busy period of, of your life. I remember uh, you were singing uh, Fado back then, uh, which is a very traditional you know, song in Portugal for those who, uh, who don't know. Um, and I remember that time that you were having problems with your voice, right? So how, how did your voice evolve during this, all these years? And with all the, the st stress periods, I guess, with the, also studying medicine. It was the very first time that I felt that my voice was not responding the way I wanted. Uh, but it was also the first time I sang professionally uh, four times a week, sometimes five. And for those who have never heard Fado, uh, Fado is um, sang traditionally in this particular type of environments uh, where people smoke uh, and drink a lot of alcohol and it's very late at night. So it's not like I could ask for the perfect conditions for my for my voice to be healthy. And I was working late hours as well in the hospital. So all, all of that together, um, I ended up having um, uh, something in my vocal cords. Uh, no, no. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and I can, I can say that it was one of the most challenging emotional things for me. Um, I've never felt uh, how much of, of me my voice represented up to the moment when my voice was not responding. Um, it's like when you have a stomach ache, for example, you, you, you imagine that your stomach is a part of you, of course, but it's, it's not you. It's somewhere in your body and it's not working right but it's not you, it's an organ that's inside you. For a singer, having a problem in the voice, it's you. So your voice equals you. So it's like, it's a little bit like mental disease, I think. It's like your whole self is, is wrong. Uh, and I, I wanted to sing. I sing a lot in my daily routine. Uh, when I wake up, even in the hospital with my patients, I, I always sing along something. And I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. I, I felt like I was not myself and uh, it started really uh, uh, getting emotionally heavy for me. And it was very interesting to see how, uh, how this organic and, and psychological stuff have a, a very big interplay. 
and I was I was lucky to meet uh, great professionals in this in this area. Uh, so my my doctor, um, I I had a um, a special uh, uh, ear no otorinologist. I think in English <laughs> yes. ear the, the, the medical ear nose and uh, and throat ear nose and throat. That she she Nothing works boy. a lot with singers, so she knew she knew what I was what I was feeling. Um, and then I had to do speech speech therapy and um, learn a, a, a different routine for me uh, before singing, after singing. Uh, and it eventually uh, it worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember for me to be a challenge to work with you as a singer because I, I was already working in the corporate world. Uh, so I had a lot of much more, uh, you know, clients or cases in in uh, in speaking voice and people that don't have the same demand as you. And I, it was really good and really challenging and, you know, interesting for me to see, okay, you are singing in these conditions, which aren't uh, exactly the best, you know, late hours, you know, in this kind of environment. And also how can you perform in these um, situations where you don't have, you know, the time, space for warm-up, for, you know, whatever you need to do. It was really, really interesting also for me as a, you know, you as a case study uh, for myself as a, a, a vocal coach. So I, I'm very grateful for that opportunity and also to see you recover and, you know, to, to fully recover from that episode. I was remembering that I had to do the warm-ups in the kitchen of the, <laughs> of the restaurant. And every day when I arrived, uh, the the staff of the of the kitchen so the the ch the chef and the helpers of the chef so to speak uh they would always do the the warm up exercises with me and it was hilarious <laughs> i imagine i imagine but you know that um when when i was working uh, with you that really made me realize that uh, you know the kind of this rigid uh normatives that we give you have to do warm up Uh, X amount of time with these exercises, it's not, you know, it's not sometimes uh, I, you can't do that. So how can you use your voice, even though you don't have all the, the ideal conditions, which is what happens when go people go from one meeting to another meeting, you don't have time to, to rest or to, to warm up or, and so that was really interesting for you, seeing you warming up in the kitchen, for example, like, oh, <laughs> she's really good. I know she's, she's adapting to this situation. And I think that was really interesting also, also for me. Um, so you, you were saying that you, sometimes you sing in uh, your um, sessions with your, with your patients. Do you, do you use singing as a medical tool or how do you use it? Uh, sometimes I, I do uh, sessions explicitly about around music. Uh, so group sessions uh, where I choose the patients that I think will will uh, more likely benefit from from that kind of uh, music therapy. Um, and uh, and I perform and together. Uh, sometimes we analyze the lyrics of the song, the patients uh, speak of what, uh, about what they mean to them. Uh, then we do kind of a debate around that. And it's very informative. It's not, it's not only therapeutical. It's very informative for me as a psychiatrist to, to watch them, um, discuss subjects in, in this more liberal, um, 
and natural environment, uh, which is way more natural than, than a, a psychiatrist's visit when the patient is there with you, only the two of you, and everybody's trying to, to show the best version of themselves, you and the patient. And, mm -hmm. and the groups, group therapy is, uh, it's not only very pleasurable, but also very informative. Um, and then, so we discuss the lyrics, then we perform the songs. Um, and it, it has, it has many, many different therapeutical effects. The, the, the most um, visible and, and, um, and shocking really is the, is the effect in, in dementia. So pa patients who are um, very withdrawn from the world, uh, they, they, Uh, sometimes they have even lost speech, so that they don't remember words at all. Mm -hmm. uh, with with music from from very old days, so for, from the time when they were young, they mm -hmm. can they can sing with the words. So those words they can have access to, uh, as long as they are in mm -hmm. music, and and they uh, and they stop being withdrawn and and they. Uh, become very present in the room and interact with each other, and the effects that music has uh, has on on demented people lasts uh, hours or days after the activity ends. Mm -hmm. uh, also, with with the uh, uh, mood disorder, so uh, depression, um, very very severe depression, uh, when people are already are kind of um, they gave. They gave up on the world. They they don't. It's not like it's beyond said. It's like uh, mm -hmm. total <laughs> a feeling of emptiness. Emptiness. Yeah. yeah. And and music can can um, like uh, make them come alive again uh, or cry uh, or make emotions uh, come back to the to the to the person. Those are those are examples. But when I when I said I, I always sing in my daily routine, it's kind of uh, more in the individual sessions with patients. So the patient says something reminds me of a song and I, of a lyric of a song. Like I can't, I can't remember yesterday. Yesterday I, I was I, I I was doing a, a visit to a cocaine addict, and he uh, uh, brought his his wife. Uh, and which I, I was I was asking for that for a long time, and finally she came. And the what they were talking about was exactly the lyrics of a of a song of my friend. Uh, he wrote a song about cocaine addiction, mm -hmm. uh, and the lyrics is the the husband saying to the wife, "I promise, I promise, it's going to be the last time I ever use cocaine." Um, and I told them, uh, "I have to show you this song. This is exactly what you." <laughs> And and when they when they see that somebody wrote a song exactly of what they are feeling, it's like uh, you feel a lot of empathy. Somebody mm. else felt exactly the same thing. And this is just an example. The most common would be heartbreak songs, um, bereavement songs, uh, you name it. Uh, people mm. write songs when they feel uh, intense emotions. So I sometimes prescribe listening to songs that really match what people are feeling uh, and that brings comfort and and the feeling of empathy to the listener that's super interesting i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> uh but it makes sense of course i mean 
they feel they are not alone. Someone wrote this song for me when we feel that that song is exactly what I'm feeling. And it's going to be really therapeutic. And, um, and also it's a, a, a way, a more natural way to overcome these situations than, you know, just taking pills or, you know, uh, just doing other parts of treatments that also are also important. But this one, music can really, uh, and I, I, from what you are sh sharing, and I, 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 I also read about it, that uh, art and music and mental health are really important. And especially that we have been in this COVID situation, this pandemic, I think one of the first things people really wanted is I want to hear, I want to go to a concert. I want to go to an exhibition. I really need art in my life because it's so important. Uh, do you do you notice this not only with your patients, but in the people you contact with that the pandemic had an effect in the, this, you know, we really need to hear music, to sing, to dance, to, you know, to do the things that we were doing before. Yeah, I, I saw that because all of those activities uh, readapted to the to the new uh, pandemic world. So I, I had patients who were having dance classes uh, via Zoom. Like, how, how can you do like ball dance without your pair? But they were still they were still doing uh, uh, my my musician friends were doing live concerts uh in through through the computers and everybody was was watching and uh it's not like you can um uh, stop uh having art in your life uh just like that it's it's really vital mm -hmm. uh now that we are free again it's it's uh uh everybody's is going twice Price as as much as as before. Uh, it's really it's really interesting to see uh, how how motivated people are to to return to this artistic uh, endeavors. And also how much we should value the artistic part and the the uh, the artists, especially this is more for Portugal, uh, because at least what I see here in, in Belgium is that the arts is much more supported by the government and all the initiatives are much more structured, but art is really vital and essential for our health, for our life. And so it's so good now to see that finally people understood, okay, this is really important and I should do this for my mental health as well. And You you also um, like when you you have a patient for the first time. Is it possible to see uh, for the through the voice what kind of mental issues are behind, or do you there are signals that you can associate with different diseases just because you know the, the way the person is speaking? I'm I'm very passionate about this this topic uh, because as psychiatrists. We don't we don't use stethoscope or we, we don't uh, examine the patient with our hands. The only way we can have access to the signs and symptoms in in mental health is through the patient's voice. Um, so our, our symptoms are in three domains: behaviors, thoughts, and emotions. And uh, if you can, uh, if it's true that you can uh, see the patient's behavior. Every, with your eyes, every emotion and every uh, thought has to be conveyed 
through the patient's voice. You, you cannot read the patient mind by telepathy. You have to ask and the patient has to tell you. So uh, saying this, our stethoscope uh, is our ears or, or are our ears. Um, and also our uh, bisturi. So uh, our surgeries are done through our voices as well. So if this is in the realm of mm -hmm. psychotherapy. Um, so in, in the patient's uh, speech, so to speak, we can divide the, the speech in the content. So what the patient is saying and the mm -hmm. form and mm -hmm. the form being how he is saying the things. Mm -hmm. And in the how, in the how, if you if you if you were listening to a patient speaking in a in a foreign language that you don't understand a word, you can still um, make a, a mental examination of this patient. Uh, so mm -hmm. just by by the form, the form is um, the volume. So how loud the patient is speaking, um, the pitch, if it's low or uh, <laughs> or high. <laughs> Um, also, um, the speed. Mm -hmm. So if, if the patient is speaking very slowly or, uh, or the words coming out of his mouth very fast, the, the timber and the, and in the timber, we can include how much air the patient is putting in the voice like this. Mm -hmm. And all of that is very informative. Uh, if I can give like a very, um, Easy to under example, uh, very easy to understand. Um, uh, maybe the the depression and and uh, mania or extreme extreme happiness, extreme energy. Um, so this is very similar to how people uh, move when they are sad and how people move when they are happy. Uh, when when a person is happy, uh, odds are the patient the person is going to uh, move fast, like in this kind of a uh, uh, jumping way. Uh, even the steps are faster, and uh, people are going to speak um, a bit louder. Uh, I'm so happy uh, and faster. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you mm -hmm. if you pay attention in around you, this is how people behave. Uh, so moving fast, and uh, and the head is is looking up. The voice is the same. So the voice is going to be uh, faster, uh, the pitch higher um, and louder. Mm -hmm. If you are sad, odds are you're going to move slowly, your head looking down and you will have less energy. So the voice parallels completely. Uh, mm -hmm. The pitch is lower. The rhythm is slower and you have less energy. So you're going to put more air in and the voice. You're going to you're going to pause and this is something that is is very uh it comes from the guts of the patient uh you he people don't uh, people don't fake this uh or uh it's yeah. Or, or, yeah 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 exactly let me comment that the voice is it's so much a mirror of how you feel inside you can't fake it you can notice, you can even use your body language in a, in a way, but your voice will always tell how you are feeling, how is your mental, mental health, your state of health in general. And it's really from the guts, as you were saying, like people don't make this on purpose. This is 
a reflection. So interesting that you you were saying that your here is the your instrument, you know, and your voice is also an, a treatment instrument, and how honest people can be, you know, just by the way they are speaking, and you can you can identify so many things, um, not only the mental uh, the mental state, but also how old. If even if you just hear the patient on the phone, you can hear you can hear how old is the person, what's the gender, what's maybe any kind of you know professional the person has habits you can understand you know so many things uh maybe you know the the social status uh you know from the, the where where is the person from from the accent so so many things that are embedded in the voice and i i had the, I never thought about it. You know, a psychiatrist, you only can hear this. You can't, you know, open the per the, the people or or do an exam or an X-ray uh, to do what's in to see what's inside. So that's and you have a especially a very trained ear. So I guess it makes <laughs> you also a good, a very good psychiatrist. <laughs> of course, like uh, our main focus is on the content of the speech. So is the person saying that that. Uh, he or she is sad. Uh, so we, we look for the form, but mostly for the content. We mm -hmm. ask if the patient is suicidal, the patient answers. Um, uh, we ask uh, whether uh, the patient feels um, somebody's out to, to get him, uh, feel like uh, he's being followed. So if, the, if he says yes, we, we know it's paranoid. Uh, so mm -hmm. we, we ask questions, we get answers, or we, we let the patient speak and, and we get the content. But also the form. I am very passionate about the form because this is, this, this is where having a trained ear uh, uh, can, can be an advantage. <laughs> and finding congruences as well. You know, you can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can be saying the content can be very happy, but the form can be sad. So something is not, something <laughs> is not right. Uh, and that can be a sign of, of, of stuff also. Um, yes. In psychotic disorders, uh, usually we get these emotional uh, incongruences. Uh, mm -hmm. So something is off in, in the emotional world. In the, uh, in the, in the movie Joker, uh, he has like this extreme uh, form of incongruence where, where he, he gets... Uh, actually, that is a neurologic sign. It's not a psychiatric one. But mm -hmm. he gets this this bursts of laughter uh, in in non comical situations mm -hmm. uh, that uh, that get him in trouble uh, often. Um, mm -hmm. So that that's that would be like an extreme version of of incongruence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the the that examples, of course, we are talking about uh, extreme example. But these incongruences happen every day when you are you know meeting your colleagues your boss your team and you say you know the way you say hello in a zoom meeting or when you are presenting and you say oh uh, yes I, i'm very happy uh, to be here here today this is really a, a pleasure <laughs> and you can see this is not <laughs> it's incongruous even if you're not trained you will feel something's off like oh i don't believe totally in what you are saying i don't know why but something is not making sense So I guess also when you 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 participated in this in the Festival de Canción contest context was um two months ago. Well, I yeah. mean it was this year. And I guess your patients were also following 
<laughs> developments of your uh, your uh, evolution there, and you went to the finals. Right. So tell me how was this is this was a, a, a dream of yours. Uh, since you, you were young, you wanted to participate in this context. It's extremely difficult because there are many, many, many people applying and you have to apply with a, an original song. And so I actually, I saw the, docu the documentary about you and Pedro, I think it's his, his name, yeah. and how you came together with this song. So tell me, how was, you know, in a nutshell, this experience of participating in this context? So uh, this contest is um, the way to apply to to Eurovision. So it's it's what the Eurofans call the nationals, um, and uh, the way to to apply is sending um, an original song. Uh, there were more than six uh, hundred uh, participants, so I was very very happy to to be selected. Uh, the song was was written by Pedro. Uh, he's a composer of soundtracks of movie, movie series and publicity and advertisement soundtracks. Uh, and this is why I think he, he was perfect to write this song because the song is, is very uh, narrative. There's a lot of storytelling in this song and uh, being a soundtrack composer, I think he did this perfectly. You can, you can kind of feel like the, the song has a first act, the second act and the third act is very theat uh, theatrical. Uh, And it's also a song in, in eight languages. Um, I don't speak the whole eight languages. I speak five. Uh, it's a, it's a, another passion of mine. When I was a teenager, I was uh, learning languages compul uh, in a compuls compulsive manner. <laughs> mm, that's a disease, but it's a good disease to have. <laughs> it's it's also kind of related to, to this topic. Um, An obsession. <laughs> the way that people speak uh, in in different countries uh, and and the kind of different personas that you can be uh, in the different languages, I, I feel that a lot. I I, I feel that when I speak uh, Spanish, I become the person I I was when I was learning Spanish with with Spanish people, and same with with the others. Uh, so this song was was a big challenge. Um, because it's always changing the persona and changing the language uh, in a in a really uh, fast pace, and uh, we got we got accepted uh, with this song that speaks of um, traveling. Really, it's a mm -hmm. it's a post pandemic song um, speaking of of how we want to uh, enjoy our freedom, uh, jumping from country to country and experiencing the different cultural elements um, in each one of them. Uh, being in the competition uh, was very interesting because I, I have never uh, done anything in TV um, and it's completely different. Uh, in, in the TV, you are singing for a camera. There are no human beings there. Um, and for me, that was very artificial because I, I always um, I always sing to, to public. And my preference is that the people are very close to the stage. 
So I, I like to interact a lot with the public. I, I do storytelling in my concerts between the songs. So for me, it was like taking one of the most important parts of, of performing, uh, which is the interaction with people. Also, I had to adapt to new technology. Of course, I, I sing with microphone in, in live concerts, but uh, in the TV, you have to... Um, the, the microphones are completely different. The, the you have an earphone, um, so everything mm -hmm. was everything was completely different. Um, the staging as well. Uh, you have to think carefully how you want to portray your song. Uh, do you want dancers? Do you want actors? Uh, what do you want to wear? I mean, I've I had chosen before what to wear to concerts. I I, I don't go naked. But but I had never <laughs> not at this point at this level of yeah. Uh, this is the dress that everybody is going to associate your the song the song and you even with for a long time. So you had to be uh, carefully. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. It was it it was amazing. Um, and because I I don't have a career in in like that in a in 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 big stages or in the TV. I don't have a, um, a fashion advisor uh, or agents. I had to make all these decisions on my own, um, a lot of which I, I didn't feel at all qualified to make. So I was I kept saying, <laughs> I know how to choose between two antipsychotics. Somebody give me a decision that I can make, please. <laughs> But uh, the it's all part of the performance, right? It's like uh, everything counts, like everything, everything, everything. Uh, but what I saw, what I saw there uh, in in the other contestants was that they had this kind of team behind. So every every decision was made by somebody uh, specialized in that. Uh, and in in our case, we had to uh, me the composer and the lyricist. So none of us. In the in the TV business, uh, mm -hmm. we had to show to decide um, all all of this. Um, oh. Of course, we 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 have advisors, uh, but uh, at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, it was me. Uh, even the composer and the lyricist. At the end of the day, Ineas, are you okay with this? Uh, if I if I said no, it was no. Uh, so uh, this was the the most um challenging part of it was way more difficult than singing the singing was what was i know the easiest how, part <laughs> this is what i know how this is what i know i i know how to choose antipsychotics and i know how to sing how to perform and how to do storytelling the rest <laughs> was <laughs> new challenges all of them <laughs> well i imagine and it's it's nice for people to know the backstage of this because we we think that well i know that it's not, it's not like that but sometimes people feel like oh this is just you know showing up and seeing it's not at all like that it's really an amount of pressure and decisions and you know we have to think about this and how the public will perceive this and that so it really must be a challenge and well but you did wonderfully and so mm -hmm. i'm so proud and i was so i was hearing your song like um 
all the time. I was, it was stuck in my head and I was like washing the dishes and, and you know, hearing the song <laughs> and I was showing to everyone, oh, this is, you know, oh, it was really, really cool. And then I remember that you finished uh, this uh, contest and then you went straight to another stage, which was a TEDx stage. So another big stage, or at least something that is uh, also you know, important in someone's journey, you know, to be able to share the story in, in a TEDx. How was for you to do that immediately after? And can you tell us a little bit what was the speech about? Yeah, that invitation uh, blew me away because I I was an am and will be an intensive consumer of TED Talks uh, and TEDx Talks uh, in, the, in YouTube. I think I owe... Um, a lot of, of the way I, I lecture and the way I give classes uh, to, to, the TED, to the TED Talks that I have watched in my life. Um, I've never like, I, I never took notes or anything when I'm watching. So I, it's not like I formally uh, make an active Learning. effort to, yeah. to learn. No, I don't do that. But I think in my, in my uh, sub- subconscious, uh, there's a lot of, of uh, hundreds of TED Talks uh, teaching me how to, <laughs> how to convey information in a more interactive way. Um, so when I got the invitation, I, I, I was hysterical. I, I think I, I answered uh, the, the guy in caps lock. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I go, I want to go. And I, I didn't even know what they wanted me to talk about, but never mind, I would speak about anything. Um, he, they wanted me to, to speak of, of the interplay between music and health. Um, because I had, I had given an interview way, way before the, the, the festival, way before the, this competition. Um, actually it was in no way related to the, to the competition. They, they didn't know about it. Um, so, um, I started to, to prepare for this, uh, in a, in a very, uh, enthusiastic way because I, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, uh, of a, of an honor uh again i felt like a bit of imposter syndrome uh how come they want me <laughs> well, but i i um i was quick to to uh uh to move past this uh imposter syndrome this time yeah, yeah. it was just a, a second and then okay you know i have an incredible story so it's worth sharing <laughs> This is my and opinion, I, of course. And when I saw you on the TEDx stage, I said, yes, it makes sense. Of course, Inez must have must uh, have this opportunity. I was super happy <laughs> as well. It was a big challenge uh, because um, it was different to all the lectures I had done in my life um, in the sense that uh, I had never felt that um, a speech had to be uh, prepared in, in such a, a detailed and careful way. I mean, every time I, I lecture, I, I say whatever I want. Uh, I improvise. Uh, and and this, this time, no, this time we must, um, we have advisory sessions. They want to know what, what exactly what we are going to say and how we are going to say it. Um, so it was, I, I kept saying, oh, oh <laughs> this is a serious deal. Um, so, uh, it was, it was different. I had to, to shut down a bit the improviser in me, um, yeah. and more of, a um, uh, of a 
pre prepared uh yeah, structured, uh, very structured. um i was i was sent like a um two hour um advice uh, advisory uh youtube video of how to to prepare a session it was very it was very very interesting um and then the actual the actual moment um was it it depends of course the TED, the TEDx stages are very different uh, in very different parts of the world but in in this one um, there were more than 100 1200 uh, people uh, watching uh, mm -hmm. sat there mm -hmm. uh, so it was uh, it was definitely the the lecture uh, i have i have done with with more people watching at the same time um also the the whole uh, the, the the symbols of the of the tev uh, all in red and black uh, it's it's a magical really uh, you really feel that you are there in tev it's it's no other place it's tev um, mm -hmm. so that was that was uh, it was it it was it's very, a strong very, yeah, yeah it's a strong feeling of of being and there. I, like I I went last, so I had to be there for the whole day, listening to other uh, very amazing speakers uh, and kind of the tension building up. Uh, I think the, the last ones I was I wasn't listening right uh, because I I've, I've re-seen the the event in in YouTube and I'm like, what? I didn't hear this. Of course, I didn't hear because I was uh, in in preparation. Of <laughs> You were but focusing on your <laughs> and and yeah uh, then when the moment arrived I, I went there and I, I think I, I think I did good. I was I was very nervous uh, but the fact that I started and closed with with music, I, I think it was very uh, it was very calming for me because because um, music it's much more uh, free uh, than than the speech part. Um, so yeah, I will I will recall this adventure um, very very dearly for for many years to come. Um, and maybe maybe someday I, I will do another one. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope. Yeah, let's look look forward to that. Uh, definitely, I have so many things to share and. Uh, I guess you will have opportunities to go to another stages in your life and, and share all this. First, you know, your experience with music as a musician, as a singer, and also the way you combine this with your professional life. I think it's wonderful. You know, the way you, you combine all these two different worlds and they work for each other in your life. And so you definitely don't have to, you know, to think about the imposter syndrome or I should do this or that. You are doing really great with both of it. And it's pers it's part of your personal brand. So when I think about you, I think uh, as I started this uh, podcast in a very multi-skilled person with a lot of things, you are very good in a lot of things. And this is really amazing and, you know, it's so special. <laughs> and also, Ines, where can people find more about you and your work? So I have uh, all the social media, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, Spotify. Uh, my artist name is the same as my psychiatrist's name, uh, Ines Oming de Melo, uh, Oming with H. <laughs> and uh, in all the media, I, um, I do both 
things. So music and uh, mental health advocacy, which is also um, a realm where I, I hope to have a, a voice, uh, being voice the subject of this conversation, uh, because I think the we have a big lack of, of mental health practitioners, especially psychiatrists who have a, a voice uh, near the community. So expect to, to see both things uh, one day music, one day mental health advocacy, um, and like this I go. <laughs> yes, and you, you write a, a lot of, you are uh, in the media, at least I see, there's a lot of articles or interviews that you are giving and also uh, being more close to the community as you as you say. So there's a lot of things to find about you, also the work you are doing with this area. And I really invite people to, to search for you, to go to your social media and to follow your work as well. Thank you so much for sharing all of this here in this little stage, which is this podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I really, I will continue to watch you and to see your, your career, uh, which I'm, I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. And so Ines, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode. Did you like it? If so, feel free to spread the word. To discover more about vocal coaching, you can visit my website, voicepowerleadership.com, or contact me through LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. And always remember, your voice matters. <laughs>